Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Uh, check us out at PublishersWeekly.com slash comics, uh, and you can subscribe on iTunes. So welcome uh, in our interview special this week. We're going to be talking to uh, an old friend of mine and a uh, terrific New York co- comics artist, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, Pete Friedrich. Uh, he's actually done a lot lot of things uh, besides making comics, uh, including publishing comics, uh, packaging comics, uh, and really um, uh, using his own life as a template in some ways. So uh, uh, welcome to More to Come, Thank Pete. you. Thank you. Um, great to talk to you. And actually, it's really great to get a chance to actually look across your whole really career. Uh, I'm learning more and more things about you. Um, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to hear you give a talk at the uh, the Jack Kirby Museum pop up museum on the Lower East Side not too long ago, where you talked about um, living on the Lower East Side, uh, creating your ongoing comic series, Lower East Side Story. Uh, and I got there a little late, so I can catch up here tonight. So, okay. you know, what I, I guess at first, what I'd love could you give um, the more to come listeners maybe just a, a little bit about your black background uh, and how you come to make com- comics. Well, I uh, came to New York in 79 and um, immediately embarked on a publishing venture with uh, an old friend of mine, Dan Klaus, who was a budding cartoonist at that point. Oh, not bad. Rick Altergott. <laughs> who, uh, yes, and Rick Altergott as we well. Yeah. Rick Altergott. Uh, and uh, he was over at Pratt. Dan went to Pratt. I went mm-hmm. to Parsons. And Mike Delfemini, who now goes by the name Mort Todd, uh, mm-hmm. also went to Parsons. And so we uh, were kindred souls and started publishing, and we created Look Mom Comics at that point, mm. at which point we put out Psycho Comics, Previous Future, um, uh, uh, a couple other books. Um, of, and, uh, and, and that sort of was, that was sort of the, 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 the genesis of just being in New York and, and working in publishing and want, knowing that I wanted to publish. And... Um, from there on, it went to we went through school, and then I I branched off and continued doing Look Mom until about '84, mm-hmm. um, where I sort of ceased with with, with pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I sort of uh, really loved the design and packaging and drawing aspects of comics. Mm-hmm. So I had switched over to SDA and was working with all the great teachers there and all the students and stuff. So. Um, at that point, went into um, doing packaging. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't really called packaging back then, but mm-hmm. early on was sort of getting, uh, you know, requests from people and putting together things in comic book form for them. Mm-hmm. And Eisner was a big uh, contributor to that, too. I mean, the way he would do things, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, all, the, all, the, all the military instructional books that he sure. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And on, a, on a side, you know, my wife, uh, who uh, is a, really teaches multimedia design, mm-hmm. she's become obsessed with instructional comics. Right. And in, to, the, to the extent that she's actually started producing her own for her class, teaching kids how to, how to code. Uh, t- teaching kids how to use uh, a technology using comics. Now, she's an amateur cartoonist, uh-huh. but uh, the ability of using comics to teach is really, we've just really scraped the surface right, of where, where right, we can right. go with And this. it's getting deeper and deeper. Yeah. And you see with kids nowadays, they're so visually sophisticated and they know, I mean, my son reads manga back and forth. Um, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just remarkable to see him pick up a book and just read a Japanese, or you know, whatever the word go is. Go right that. to left, one right minute, to left, and yeah. flip and go yeah. left to right and the other hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's it's, really interesting. Talk about switch hitting. Yeah. Totally switch <laughs> reading. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, so, I mean, oh, excuse me, go no, ahead. So, so in that time mm-hmm. period, there was also that interesting hybrid of living in New York. Hip-hop was emerging. Um, 
a lot of hip hop artists love mm -hmm. comics as well. So we did a lot of design in that sense of doing record mm -hmm. album covers with comic book characters mm -hmm. on it. Um, Statue of Liberty was uh, having her anniversary, and so we got uh, assigned to do uh, a, a book about that, this history, mm -hmm. of, and that was all comic mm -hmm. book history. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, over the years, uh, I've seen you do. Uh, you did a comic for eight about the ACLU. Right. Uh, you've done um, materials um, on where I'm, I'm just escaping me right now. You, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you've done comic strips. Was this this travelogue anthology that you put together? Road strips, yes. Road strips, excuse right, me. Right, right, right. That was in 2006. Road mm -hmm. strips was for Chronicle Books. Um, the original impetus of Road Strips was to find and, and have one artist from every state in the United States mm -hmm. do a story about what it was to be from that state, mm -hmm. you know, sort yeah. of a, yeah, no, I, a hometown I pride. And, uh, and what, other, what other projects have, have you done? Um, as you are also now, you have really a more formal entity for producing uh, comics for other people. Right, right. Now we've, we've created a firm called Page Turner, and that's created with Joan Hilty, who is a former mm -hmm. uh, editor at DC Comics, mm -hmm. the Vertigo imprint. And um, what we do there is, I used to say we provide consultation and, and uh, packaging for comic books and graphic novels to publishers, literary agents, and authors. But I'm coming to realize now in the last year or so of developing this that it's really anyone who's a content creator. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. we're getting people from all walks of life mm -hmm. who are coming in and saying, I've got this great idea, or I've written this manuscript, whatever it is. They've created content, they want to turn it into a graphic novel, they want to turn it into a comic book. Mm -hmm. They don't understand how to get from A to B. Sure, you sure. Know? And, and they can come up with fantastic ideas, and they want to see it in that form, but to actually get it into that form, it's not only just the practicality of knowing which artist to use and what scripter to use and what penciler and like how to find all those people, which is what we help them with, but it's also just translating your story into dialogue exactly. and into something that's and a compelling in, narrative mm -hmm. like that in that form. So who have you worked with um, at Page Turner? What projects have you, uh, uh, if you can mention one or two? Um, I can. Well, I, I think uh, the Nickelodeon uh, works that we do mm -hmm. um, are, are, you know, good examples of mm -hmm. it. Um, um, I felt that this, the, the Mankind comic book that we did mm -hmm. for them was, was a good example of turning something that was televised content into a comic book. Great. And it was informative, but really entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the other projects that we're working on now are, are exciting. I don't know if um, I can mention them right now. Oh, okay. Well, if you can't yeah. mention, we yeah. understand. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, and I also, just very quickly, I wanted to mention, because um, you brought a new book in here today that I hadn't seen before, which is a yeah. collection of uh, some of your non-Lower East Side Story yes. comics, which yeah. I wasn't familiar with at all. Um, but I'd love to hear more about them, Outside the, pla uh, outside the Panels. Yeah. Well, Outside the Panels is a compilation. I think when, when I left the Lower East Side and when I left New York, I left in... in um, basically 1990, for about mm -hmm. a period of 11 years, and I relocated to San Francisco, mm -hmm. sort of following that underground comics dream, mm -hmm. right? There you go. <laughs> yes, yeah. From New York to back it's to like, Ashbury. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like from one underground comic book world to another <laughs> underground comic book world. And just created a lot of work out there for Fanographics, for uh, Ripoff uh -huh. Press, for all the, all, the pr all the presses that were around back then. Mm -hmm. um, but I tended to do sort of short stories. I tended to work in that sweet spot of sort of mm -hmm. five to seven pages. Um, and working with other writers like Dennis Icorn, you know, he was doing yeah, things sure. like that. Doing, yeah, yeah. Real life stories real or something. Life, yeah. And one day, yeah. real life comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. real stuff. I get them all confused. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, <laughs> several. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember his series. Yeah. Yes. So it's just, it was, you know, and, and the anthologies were in sort of a heyday back then as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was easier to get uh, your work in um, some of those areas. And um, so these are comics that you collected between 1982 and 2012. Right. And it runs the gamut. It looks like some more Lower East Side stuff. Um, but I guess other things as well. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty mm -hmm. wide gamut. Yeah, mm -hmm. it tends to be sort of dark humor, but all right, well, <laughs> that's the consistent. Living on the Lower East Side will do that to you. <laughs> um, 
Uh, well, look, well, obviously what I'm really anxious to talk about yeah. is Lower East Side Story, uh, which uh, I've fortunately been able to kind of um, uh, you put... You, now, are these... Uh, did you have some new issues that came out recently or is, the last... Issue, issue number four is the most recent issue, and that came out for SPX, which yeah. was several months ago. Well, I would... Number one, as someone else who lived on the Lower East Side and continues to live on the Lower East Side, you know, I connected with these comics right away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, it's a great story, but really this is a story that intersects, I think, with, someone, with what has come to be an important part of your life. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could give uh, our readers, our listeners, <laughs> they, I'm sure they read as well. <laughs> Turn them into readers. Uh, but our listeners, maybe a little bit, because this is really, not only is this a, is a great story of kind of about uh, of urban uh, pluck and determination, but really mm -hmm. this is a history mm -hmm. of New York City, uh, of a really of a, of a section of New York City mm -hmm. during really probably one of the most tempestuous times mm -hmm. or tumultuous times in the city's history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said it perfectly. Yeah. Um, it, Lower East Side Story does involve um, uh, an ensemble of, of characters, and you will um, find as you get to know these characters that some of them are, it's, all, it's definitely a story of survival, and it's a story of, of, of rebirth. And you find some of these characters are dealing with huge inner demons, and some of them are dealing with huge external demons. And that's what I found so fascinating about both living down there at the time and then actually, you know, leaving and going to California gave me this odd perspective. At first, it sort of seemed surreal um, that it actually ever happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then, you know, I was getting letters from people and saying, well, this and this just turned into such and such a store. And it was, you know, it was being gentrified. And so I knew that there was something that it was being built on. Um, um, but, but, but paint the listeners a picture of the Lower East Side in 1980. Okay, okay. <laughs> For those, like many New Yorkers we encounter today, who maybe weren't here during those years, right. and who walked blithely around the Lower East Side right. in ways that, you know... You couldn't. You wouldn't have even considered have. doing, or ride the subways. Yes, I mean, I see subways, people in the subways bicycle. these days with their you know, laptops out. Right, right. It would have been inconceivable Absolutely. of me to do that. And I got here in 1981. Uh, it was just a different world. It was. It was. It was. <laughs> paint a picture of... Uh, now, where did you I, live on the Lower East Side? If, if I, I say, In various places. Various I places sort of there. jumped from place to place, okay. actually. All right. Well, um, well paint us like a world. picture uh, <laughs> for those who weren't here. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, recently someone actually said, you know, it's not that different from... Detroit nowadays, and so mm -hmm. I realize there's some people who are now living in other cities that are pretty much as yeah. completely mm -hmm. devastated. But I think what was happening there was, first of all, it's, it was it was boxed in. Mm -hmm. So you've got this very small neighborhood, and what was happening was that behind the scenes, landlords were abandoning mm -hmm. their buildings, and behind the scenes, equally important, was the city didn't have any tax money to maintain these buildings. So if you can try and picture a very large neighborhood about 10, you know, 10 by 8 square blocks mm. where buildings were just disintegrating on a daily basis they were being burnt down because arson for hire was a really lucrative thing mm -hmm. for the landlords to uh, do. So people were gutting buildings and then mixed into that is actually a huge group of, of well, first of all, people who had to live there because they had no choice, mm -hmm. and lots of artists. You know, there are lots of young creative artists. Historically, on the Lower East Side, as a matter of fact. Sort of, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. starting around the 50s or 60s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was very working class. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you still had this mixture of working class and then which were survivors because they had no choice. Mm -hmm. And then lots of artists who had no money, had no resources, mm -hmm. and they, you know, they wanted to live there because they loved it. Um, and, you know, that's an incredibly interesting uh, mixture of people. Mm. And so and then you get this odd thing that happened. And, and what 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 is interesting for people to understand is that the history of drug uh, sort of drug empires used to be 
from the top down. Mm -hmm. So you used to have cartels. Mm -hmm. What happened there when crack, and, and one of the things, my story takes place during the period just before crack mm -hmm. and then through crack. And it's a, it's a really important moment because what happened was that all the street dealers that were there who were usually considered the low-end people could, because of the way crack worked, could immediately become sort of their own little dealership. You mm. could buy a little bit of cocaine and turn it into a lot more, a lot, of a lot, of, a lot more crack. Yeah, mm. and so you suddenly had all these soldiers and it was completely disorganized. So it was really weird to live there because you actually could coexist. You could, there was not really a threat. They just knew if you weren't buying that they would just let you walk by. It was sort of like you were an invisible. It was oh, almost yeah. like a caste society, yeah. right? It was almost like India where you were an invisible and untouchable. And you could walk through that neighborhood and never actually get hurt, not get mugged. Mm. Um, because there was business going on. There was a lot of business going on. And all they wanted was peace and quiet. Yeah. They didn't want anybody to shake any, you know, Yeah, they didn't want yeah, feathers. to bring cops over there. Exactly. Not that the cops ever came past the New Haven very often, there. but, right. Right. <laughs> but, right. but there you yeah. go. Yeah. So there was, so that's what it was. And, and, you know, very little resources. I mean, there were, you know, bars and some delis and stuff, but mm -hmm. no real way to make, a, to stay alive over there. Um, and then a lot of the squats were actually, you know, like the people in Lower East Side Story, the characters in there, a lot of my friends were trying to take over squats. They were trying to rebuild these. This is sweat accuracy. These are people who moved into abandoned buildings. Totally abandoned. And Completely basically re rehab them by any means yeah. necessary. Every means necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were, you know, they, you know, dumpster diving was sort of, you know, taken to the, like, the ultimate level yeah. where you just go to these dumpsters and remove the entire contents of it. All the windows, when people were gutting buildings uptown, mm. they would just completely remove all the contents of it because it yeah. was great stuff. And you could rebuild, you know, floors, walls, windows, and everything. Yeah. So, you know, that's an amazing... And so you've got that hardship. And then you also have the seasonal thing that happens in New York. So there's always a race to the next season before winter hits. Yes. And so summertime was an interesting time. And it takes place in... It, it is sort of pressure cooker thing in the comic when summertime hits. All the dealers are out there. They're much happier because there's a lot of, you know, it's very easy to buy and sell. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, all the people who are squatting and homesteading are really working feverishly to get their places up. Yeah, yeah. And, and better livable, you know. Um, tell us a little bit about the characters and how they relate to people in your life um, uh, in Lower East Side Story. Okay. Uh, well, um, they're all based on people that I did know. Some of them are, are hybrids and some of them mm -hmm. are true people. So I'm actually sort of considering this a little bit of an enhanced reality or a dramatized reality sure. mm -hmm. story. Um, and, you know, some have not survived us, um, yeah. which is unfortunate, but, you know, others are still around and um, I try and do them justice. And I just found that the main two characters in the story were uh, just an incre uh, uh, just a really compelling relationship that I found unforgettable, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, they were best friends uh, to this day. Um, where you know, one guy was a friend that I knew from art school, and he was a scrawny little guy from uh, from uh, from Canada, from Toronto, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and he befriended this guy who was like this really really gentle but strong, powerful guy who was one of the homesteaders mm -hmm. in one of the buildings. This is Dwight and this Tony. Dwight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. Skinny little white guy, yeah. really, you know, super powerful black guy. <laughs> so it's like an interracial thing. And there's a lot of there's a lot of interracial stuff going on in the stories as yeah. well. I mean, that's a really important component because a lot of people, you know, like that were um, in that situation where they had to make things work, but they actually really found deep friendships through I that. Agree. Yeah, you know? and uh, um, and I think that's characteristic in some ways of the community on the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. As people are thrown together, um, sometimes for reasons they don't always understand, yeah. certainly in those days. I mean, I moved to New York in 1981, and I think my first apartment, I lived a lot of places, but I lived at Avenue B and 2nd Street. Right. Uh, and it was unbelievable <laughs> after dark it was crazy during the day too but it was really crazy at night yeah it's like a self-imposed curfew <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was nutty and i had to it's funny i was poor in those days and i was um 
you know, I came to New York to be an artist, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I, I was a monitor. I didn't have any money, so I was a monitor at the Bob Blackburn's Printmaking Workshop on mm -hmm. West 17th Street. Really a great place for printmaking. Um, and I would close up there. When you were a monitor, you close up. But I would close up there, and then I would walk home. Yeah. To the Lower East Side, and so it was an interesting trip. It's a transition, night. right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would go from what would be a semi-normal, either middle or working class, to really a complete blighted right. war zone, right? Um, with like abandoned buildings, crazy lines of people in front of apparently abandoned buildings waiting and to buy. Yeah. waiting to buy. And they even and had bouncers. Like they even had guys yeah, yeah. who it, sort of would keep the line in yeah, control. Keep it so it was actually okay for you to walk by because they didn't even want them hassling you because you weren't buying. If you weren't buying, they didn't have, they yeah. had no problem with you just keep moving. So that's, I think, a little, a little uh, amazing for some people to hear of this generation that that kind of odd coexistence took place. And also but, I have found that the cultural, I sort of found that the economic, you know, in hindsight, the economic moat that was there I just found also totally compelling I couldn't believe yeah. sometimes that we would leave there and you know some of us worked a lot of us actually worked for who were, who were becoming famous artists over in Soho like through the connections sure. through art school mm -hmm. right so we would go over to their studios that were in Soho back in the mm -hmm. day and sort of help them on their paintings or do mm -hmm. you know other type of studio work to make a buck and just that walk all the way, across, you know, down Houston Street and to yeah. just watch it go from, you know, burnt out buildings to, I mean, they weren't like, Soho hadn't been completely so hadn't been, yeah. it, But it still, you could, you knew that it was, was a difference. It was, different scene. it was a different scene. <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah. Soho wasn't the Soho we see today. It's not but, today, you but, but, but you could tell and that Because it, it was still an art. I mean, in the 81, 82, 83, it, it was still, Soho was still an artist. Yeah, it was. It community, was. which it's hardly can be described as that now. No. Soho is just a big outdoor shopping mall now. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just But in those days, it was still a, an artist. Yeah, area, but it was stable and safe, yes. and, and had light, had street <laughs> yes. lights. Yeah, and there were bars, um, and I mean, yeah, there were bars. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a nice bohemian yeah. hangout. And then you could walk, you know, you walk up from there through NYU over to Fifth right. Avenue, and then yeah. you're in. Yeah, then you're in. Then you're know, in shiny New York. Shiny New York. But exactly. uh, back on the Lower East Side, it was uh, a different world, right? And yeah. Lower East Side story for me captures so much of that time. Mm -hmm both in the characters and also in your style of drawing, which is very kinetic, very, I think, very dynamic. Uh, you've got a great style that's a little cartoony. Well, a lot cartoony. Yeah. But you really capture both personalities. And, you know, for a story that's a, a fictional account, mm -hmm. there's a great deal of mapping what's going on in larger social forces that... Some of the characters perceive, but not all of them perceive, right, that, right. that there are larger economic forces, um, real estate developers, right. and the city government right. that are really moving. So it really acts as um, a kind of comics journalism also. It does. It does. It very much does. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, artistic style, that's very interesting you mentioned that because I struggle with that a lot. And I guess a lot of people do. I think Joe Sacco probably does or mm -hmm. anybody who sort of does comic book reportage mm -hmm. because you want to dramatize things a bit and... Um, obviously, some things are are are, are exaggerated, um, um, but also you know you want to root it in that reality, and so it, you know that's it ends up with sort of forcing you to create an interesting style, mm -hmm. um, which I'm you know happy with now. Um, you definitely struggle at times where it's if you make it too realistic, it can be a little bit dull. Um, um, but but yeah, you know, no, I was just also your that comment was really interesting that like it's true. A lot of my characters are really ignorant of what's actually happening outside of their world, and that's mm -hmm. one thing that in thinking about this a lot, 
I realized was true about all of us. Even now, even years later, when we go and we talk about it, we actually still talk out of, you know, some of us who were part of like the, the grassroots homesteading organizations mm -hmm. became much more knowledgeable. There's a lot of us who just saw it happen. We got hit by the tidal wave. We either escaped or we stayed there. Some mm -hmm. of my friends, like Tony, the character, still lives in the exact same apartment. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, uh -huh. on Stanton Street. Mm -hmm. He's been in there. And, you know, he's renovated. He's fixed it up and yeah. everything. And it's, it's an okay building now. Mm. But the truth is, it's like, you know, you're just sort of like holding on to that mass in the middle of a storm. And when the storm's yeah. all over, you kind of know, some people don't really want to say, what were the meteorological problems that <laughs> yes, caused yes, that storm? Yes. <laughs> you're just like, thank God I survived I that storm. <laughs> I made it. Now let me get back to my life. Let me build my yeah, life. Up. Yeah. And so I found that really compelling that you've got people that are in a, in, in, in a pressure cooker environment and they're getting all this stuff hitting them from the outside. And they actually don't have the resources to find out what's making them be in the world that they're in. And sometimes they don't care. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a few characters that actually care a little bit. But mainly what I did was I introduced outside characters. I introduced some mm -hmm. people from the HPD department as sort of secondary mm -hmm. characters. And so you see what they're it's doing like in housing, their office. The, the housing. housing. Yeah, mm -hmm. housing and yeah. public development. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know... Some of them are sympathetic. So those characters yeah. are going to be mm -hmm. good voices. They're going to be good foils and saying, you know, why, why is the mayor doing this? Why is he, mm -hmm. you know, why is he sending in bulldozers? Why is he sending yeah. in cops? Yeah. You know, I mean. Because at one point, essentially, the city was just trying to get these buildings knocked down. They want them down. They want it down. Developers were Develop chafing at the bit to yeah. come in yeah. and put up, obviously, higher right. rated place. But developers don't want to spend to even knock a building down. Yeah. They're, yeah. They, they just want it all they laid out. They want a vacant lot. <laughs> they, want a, they want a clean platter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and clean the city slate. was doing that. At the same time, the squatter movement was getting started. I mean, yeah. maybe I mean at a certain point, it picked up some political consciousness about what it was doing. And at one point, as your story is kind of that, right. you know, people said, "Hey, there's buildings here. We got no place to live. Right? We can we can take them over. Take them over, yeah. and yeah. we've got the skills right. to do it. Yeah. And and even without the legal skills, they had the physical skills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the scavenging for materials. Uh, on on a small to large scale in New York, you, and one of the first things I realized when I moved to New York is that the stuff you find on the street is better than yeah, a lot of stuff you can buy exactly. or stuff that you already own. Right, so right, right. I certainly furnished my first apartment with, <laughs> with more than a few things. Exactly. I just picked up walking down the right, streets. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think they <laughs> particularly if you were walking uptown and didn't burn it back oh, downtown. Yeah, uptown was incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we had one guy who had a pickup truck, you know, a guy from yeah. out of town, and so yeah. we could just load that thing up. But it was even funny. I remember they changed the laws to make it illegal to, uh, you know, steal those milk crates because every deli, every, <laughs> yeah, every yeah, restaurant, because yes. all of our furniture was just those blue milk crates. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the characters in that in, in Laurie's side story have that. That's what their furniture is composed of. But the story also it brings together so many threads that that I lived through. Both the, you know the the squat movement, uh, the the beginnings of the crack. I got here just as the crack epidemic hit the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, you know, it was primarily heroin. Right. And, and that was still going on. I mean, it was, it was. It you just, know, but, it just but it, before long, it was pretty clear that crack was taking over was. The, everything. Right. And it was a more bizarre and uh, more uh, psych psychotically driven. It was, um, had a lot more impact for a lot less buck. And so uh, it turned a lot of people, even friends that we knew who just sort of thought they'd experiment. I mean, it was just so powerful. Yeah. And... The art world and the beginnings of, you know, what would later would become uh, maybe the East Village art scene, mm -hmm, but absolutely. the beginnings of galleries, right. um, as there were always artists down there, as the cheapest parts of the city will always right. attract artists. Right. But Lower East Side brings and, all of that to bear. And it brings uh, sort of AIDS and, and grit. Yes, that, yes. That was a precursor absolutely, to that. Absolutely, Those two, yes. th they were all sort of mixed in together. All reflected in yeah. many ways in, in your characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got one character who's, uh, she is sort of a hybrid of, I mean, of, of 
you know, there were like three women who were the real progenitors of, of that gallery scene back then, mm-hmm. um, the real pioneers of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was, there was a there was Patty Astor, there Pretty was Gracie sure. Gracie Mansion, sure. mm-hmm. um, and um, the other? I'm, uh, the third uh, one I'm escaping. Pat Hearn. Yeah, exactly. Pat Hearn. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Um, and so, you've got a character, Karina, right? Who who is she's the hybrid? Yeah. Yeah. Those, yeah right. you know? I mm-hmm. mean, we sort of knew people like that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I didn't know them personally. Yeah. Those those mm-hmm. those uh, those gallery owners. Um, that was a little bit outside of my world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I knew Gracie Mansion. I never I never knew Patty Astor. And you know, I uh, one of the things I did during the eighties, I was down there. I me and a bunch of people started an art magazine down there called One Hundred Eight, which is both loft we were living in on the Bowery at the time. So oh, cool. This was during the mid-1980s. Really, right. as the neighborhood was starting to really change. Right, right. And it wasn't quite the, uh, you know, by 85 or so, it wasn't quite the blasted landscape. No, it was a rapid, that's a funny yeah. thing, is that it's, it's such a rapid destruction and such a rapid rebuilding. Yeah. It's really crazy. No, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was living uh, in my apartment on Avenue B at 2nd Street, uh, the gas station was still there mm-hmm. at the time I was there, but uh, and that that later sort of became this kind of was taken over as like a kind of an arts right. center hybrid place. But across yeah. the street there was a, a massive building that was just completely blasted. I mean, it had yeah. no roof, yeah. you know, gutted windows, yeah. and that was all around the street. If you walked on Second Street, every other building was abandoned. Yeah. It, 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 you, you, it's hard to imagine now. It's, it's impossible <laughs> to imagine now. It's, um, it's really, really remarkable. Yeah. But uh, it was a weirdly tight knit community. If you did live down there, yeah. I mean, you know, that it was kind of where you wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there were real eccentric people. There was a guy named yeah. Adam Purple who sure, went yeah. out and you know who did the um, he built his the applique that he did yeah. all over the and city and gardens yeah. too, like yeah. huge gardens. gardens as well. Yeah, uh, just absolutely stunning gardens, yeah. Yeah. you know, and something that would, nowadays would be cherished, but the you know government at that time just bulldozed yeah. it as well, yeah, because um, yeah. they had this sort of blanket approach, yeah. you know, to destroying mm-hmm. everything. Um, you know, this is all before a lot of ways to get the, the word out. Nowadays, somebody like him would have a, F, a, fan, a, a, a they'd have a, a website, page, social me- social you know. media, yeah. you know, and there you know, he just yeah. he just struggled. Yeah. He was eccentric and. One so. other thing uh, that's really terrific about the, the, the series is it, it does recreate the culture now because this was a pre-cell phone culture. Yes, it and, was. And reading this, it really takes you back to a time that's not that long ago. It's not that long ago. Where you had, if somebody didn't have a phone, and there were a lot of people who didn't have phones, you had to get up. And go and you find did. them. You did. You it did. seems like the 19th century. I know. That's what I love about it. It's so medieval. I but mean, it's, it's almost like 20th literally... century New York. I know. It's like if you know if they knew how to do smoke signals, they yeah. probably would have done smoke signals off their roof yeah. to find each other. And payphones were incredibly important, right? Because right. that's you know how you called people or did anything. Really. Exactly. You yeah. know, you yeah. hung around with yeah. the payphone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we knew the numbers how to reach people on payphones. We sure. knew how to. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say we knew, but you know, there were yeah. payphones that were jacked in a certain sure. way that you could make calls out sure, as sure. well. Um, so there's a lot of rigging of that system, um, and you know that also was totally amazing to me. And I thought for anybody who reads this nowadays, who's used to a completely different world of communicating, it was just fascinating. Yeah, it know? really was. And it also made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, that's why in a lot of the, in a lot of the stories there are just there's stoops. I mean, that's you know the New York culture of stoops yes. is a big thing, yeah. right? And like any New Yorker knows stoops, but Stoops really had a meaning back then because you knew you could find certain people at certain stoops at certain times. <laughs> yes, it's it. <yeah. laughs> and there were certain pizza parlors. There were certain bars. Mm-hmm. 
There's just like mm -hmm. these certain things, and even some clubs, like even A7, you could sort of hang out yes, there. Yes, yes, yeah. And and be there. Yes. And you know, you knew that you'd find somebody that you wanted to find at a certain time period. Yeah. You know, sometime in the evening, they'd be there every day. You know? Yeah. So you really, you know, well, for me, the, the series uh, takes me back to, you know, a time when I just got to New York. But tell us, like, now, you've been working on this. You've got four issues. I have four you've issues. You've been working on this series, obviously, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I'm, uh, and I think you've got some other things. You've, uh, it's available in digital soon? It, it, or, well, yeah, yeah, yeah or, it's on, you know. Or it's coming. No, no, it's, it's digital. I oh, good. Comicsology okay. will have them out pretty soon. Okay, so um, you can get it's them. in the queue. Yeah. I'm in the queue. Oh, okay, great. Um, and the first one's over on iBooks Author, or I've been to the Apple iBooks Store. Oh, so you can get in the Apple iBooks Store. You can get in the iBooks Store. The first issue or the You can get it through Amazon or, no, just the first issue right Just the first issue. Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting for Honestly, it feels like Comixology is going to be the default platform from now on. Sure. So I'm just waiting for that to, to clear Perfectly that, clear understandable. That. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and now is there a, a book collection at some point? There will be. I mean, one mm -hmm. of the funny things is that every time I do an issue, I end up wanting to really re reconfirm where my storyline was going to and reconfirm some facts. And so I do a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. So rather than just writing a drama, which I can knock out pretty quickly, I actually go do some research. So every issue is sort of heavily researched to confirm what I'm telling is true, Good. Uh, yeah. that there's a basis of truth behind it. Um, so the next issue, yeah. No, excuse well, me. When's the next issue? Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully I'm going to be shooting for, there's a fest called uh, New York Comic Fest. It's going to be in White Plains in June. And so yeah. I'm going to mm -hmm. be going uh, to that, so launching it at, at that point. So about six mm -hmm. months from now. So how many issues do you think will wrap up the, the series? Well, you have a notion now? I have a notion that it would either be that one that could be quite a larger issue or it'll mm -hmm. be two issues from mm -hmm. now. Cool. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we have, what you have not seen yet, is uh -huh. is 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 current times, the contemporary characters, uh -huh. and so you know what I've been establishing is all these directions that the characters are going into, all the challenges that they've been facing mm -hmm. and everything. And so what you haven't seen yet is where they ended up in their life. Great. And so right. that's, you know, what's going to happen in the, in the conclusion. Now, um, a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of black and white series I've noticed uh, after they've made their run, uh, the artists have started thinking about color. Have you given that any thought? I have. I've actually had two colorists working on it, and oh. I am... You know, ah, so something to look forward to. Something perhaps. to look forward to. Oh, okay. It right. won't be traditional, though. Uh huh. All right. Well, I think has, this might... isn't traditional in any way. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to ask you. I mean, you've been working on this for so long. This obviously is not an ordinary project for you. Right. Uh, uh, can you can you tell? I mean, wh wh why have you done it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're a, you're an accomplished designer. Obviously, you've worked in other. You've worked outside of the comics feel mm -hmm. uh what brings you back to this material well you know i started i'm slow i'm a slower illustrator so it, it, it started a little while back yeah i see and i have you know this wasn't four months worth of work to do four issues yeah right? I, I can tell <laughs> so you know it, it takes a little bit of time but what really what, what brought me back is is just those characters that mm -hmm. time period there's nothing like it yeah um there's nothing like it in the history of new york and honestly in 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 when you're looking for dramatic storyline it it's, there's so many components that are right there for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an incredible environment. There were incredible people. They had incredible challenges. And, you know, to tell a human interest story and to tell a compelling story of someone who goes through just hell and back, mm -hmm. you can't get a better hell than that. Yeah. I and mean, it's really remarkable. And the payoff is actually, I think the payoff is actually quite interesting, too. I think it's really, it's been a challenge for a lot of us who lived through that to sort of go back. And I think our first knee-jerk reactions was kind of like, oh, you know, all this gentrification. Oh, I hate this. I hate this. But the truth is, you know, you get older and even people are younger, you end up sort of like becoming fond of things that you used to hate. You start understanding mm -hmm. why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. um, and as, you know, as sort of 
exciting and dramatic mm-hmm. and, and wild that life was back then, I wouldn't wish that on anybody no, else. It was, it was tough. Yeah. It was very tough. It was to tough. The situation. It was not fun. Um, but once again, you know, you, you, you were surrounded by a lot of <laughs> great, and then sometimes not so great people, yeah. uh, but vivid people. Very, very sure. vivid. Very, yeah. very vivid. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, that's what keeps pulling me back, and that's what will, will get me to, the, to, to conclude this story. Um, it's just an amazing environment to tell a story yeah. in. Well, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I can't wait to see the next issue. I've been waiting for years between issues, it seems, <laughs> in sorry. some instances. I'm so but sorry. that's all right. When, when, the, when the next issue shows up, I'm always happy. All's forgiven. Right. Um, look, thanks so much. I'm uh, faster. Uh, but there you go. So that, um, uh, and believe me, all the encouragement yeah. and, and, and you know, readership and everything has also really got me working much faster, too. It took well, me a long time to do issue number one, less time to do two. And then you know, when you get readers and you start getting emails from people, there you go. Fan, you know, Facebook compliments and stuff like that it's like it really is very inspirational well it was a great being in a group i mean usually i see an issue or and i see you or i get one from you so it was really great actually to see you uh, at the uh, jack kirby pop-up that was a museum fantastic, fantastic great event. turnout yeah. uh very enthusiastic response yeah. obviously everyone amazing can connect. Yeah. uh and and held uh, the pop-up store was on delancey street not too far from uh the birthplace of, of jack king right, kirby right so we were all sort of basking exactly, in, in the uh, what the Lower East Side means in the biggest, biggest way. So, right. uh, look, Pete, thank you so much for you, talking Calvin. to more to come. It was more than a pleasure. I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, you can go to the Publishers Weekly website, publishersweekly.com slash comics, and you can stream uh, more to come from there. Or, and we encourage you uh, as well, to go to iTunes where you can subscribe to More to Come and have it show up, you know, immediately on your various podcast listing devices, you know, automatically every time. So uh, subscribe on iTunes.